Uh, welcome everyone that's here today at IFAST, uh, Maryland. Uh, very auspicious that we have Rikmani Prabhu um, today speaking on behalf of Srila Prabhupada and enlightening and nourishing the hearts of all of us that's on this class. So let's hear about Rukmini Prabhu. Uh, I think everyone knows Rukmini actually. There's not a need for um, introduction. However, uh, since this is the protocol, I'm very honored and privileged to be able to welcome Rukmini Prabhu to the Institute for Applied Spiritual Technology. So Rukmini Prabhu is a senior disciple of Srila Prabhupada. I think we all know that. She is a sweet, dynamic, and powerful personality, in case you didn't know that. She is an artist, expert in creating beauty in all she touches. So something quickly about that, I remember being in an elevator with Rukmini in Mumbai and her husband shared, asked me, did I know Rukmini had done all those fate, a lot of the fate um, dioramas that was in the very old Detroit temple. Well, it's not so old, but the Detroit temple. I did not know. That was something I learned about Rukmini Prabhu. So I share that only to say she's been an artist for a very long time. She's been creating art for the pleasure of Srila Prabhupada. And of course, that was an amazing uh, display. If anyone ever did not see that in the, um, in the Detroit temple, we were fortunate to get to see that. She's Faith, it was called, if I remember correctly, Faith, something like that. Um, she's expert at creating beauty in all she touches, is a well, she is a well of wisdom, yes, and is very conversant in the knowledge of Krishna Bhakti. She has ser served in many capacities over the years as a pujari, preacher, and spiritual activist, and writes, teaches, and leads workshops and retreats internationally. She's the founder of the Urban Devi Collective, based out of Baptist Center in New York City, where she's a member of the Board of Directors. She inspires many. She is also a member of SABDA, a 30-person international committee that advises the GBC of ISKCON. Currently, she's a resident in the Washington, D.C. area. She and her wonderful husband, Anutama Prabhu, in interfaith, leading a Vaishnava Christian dialogue and a Vaishnava Muslim dialogue each year. She's the mother of our wonderful Gauravani Prabhu. That's not on this. However, I needed to share about Gauravani Prabhu. And grandmother of an illustrious devotee family. Oh, yes. With our Gauravani Prabhu as her beloved son. We look forward to hearing from Rukmini Prabhu. Thank you so much, Rukmini. Thank you. We're looking forward to hearing your wisdom. Thank you so much for these very kind words. I'm very grateful to be invited to the Institute today. And happy Sarat Purnima, the first day of this holy Kartik month. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much. I'll chant the verses. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 25. Text number 56 through the end of the chapter, 62. So I'm going to do the Sanskrit and um, the purport for the first verse, and then we'll just read the verses for the 
for the subsequent verses. Evam karmasho sansakta kamatma vanchito buddha mahisi yadyar iheta tatat evavavartata so pay attention to this word vanchito because this is what the topic is going to be. It means to be cheated. That's what I want to talk about today. So I'll I'll chant the word for word. Eva, thus, karmashu, in fruitive activities, sansakta, being too much attached, kama atma, lusty, vanchita, cheated, abudaha, less intelligent, mahisi, the queen, yet, yet, whatsoever, Iheta, she would desire, tat tat, all of that. Eva certainly, anvavartata, he followed. Translation, being less entangled in different types of mental concoction and engaged in fruitive activities, King Paranjan came completely under the control of material intelligence and was thus cheated. Indeed, he used to fulfill all the desires of his wife, the queen. Purport by his divine grace, Srila Prabhupada. When a living entity is in such bewilderment that he is under the control of his wife or material intelligence, he has to satisfy the intelligence of his so-called wife and act exactly to her dictates. Various shastras advise that for material convenience, one should keep his wife always satisfied by giving her ornaments and by following her instructions. In this way, there will be no trouble in family life. Therefore, for one's own social benefit, one is advised to keep his wife satisfied. In this way, one becomes the servant of his wife. He must act according to the desires of his wife. Thus, one becomes more and more entangled. In Bengal, it is said that if one becomes an obedient servant of his wife, he loses all reputation. However, the difficulty is that unless we, one becomes a most obedient servant of his wife, family life becomes disturbed. In the Western countries, this disturbance gives rise to the divorce law, and in Eastern countries like India, there is separation. Now this disturbance is confirmed by the new introduction of the divorce law in India. Within the heart, the mind is acting, thinking, feeling, and willing. And falling under the control of one's wife is the same as falling under the control of material intelligence. Thus one begets children by his wife and becomes entangled in so many activities under the control of mental concoctions. We will discuss this, these points. When the queen, this is the next verse, when the queen drank liquor, King Paranjan also engaged in drinking. When the queen dined, he used to dine with her, and when she chewed, King Paranjan used to chew along with her. When the queen sang, he also sang. Similarly, when the queen cried, he also cried, and when the queen laughed, he also laughed. When the queen talked loosely, he also talked loosely, and when the king walk, queen walked, the king walked behind her. When the queen would stand still, the king would also stand still. And that when the queen would lie down in bed, he would also follow and lie down with her. When the queen sat, he would also sit. And when the queen heard something, he would follow her to hear the same thing. When the queen saw something, the king would also look at it. And when the queen smelled something, the king would follow her to smell the same thing. 
When the queen touched something, the king would also touch it. And when the dear queen was lamenting, the king would, the poor king also had to follow her in lamentation. In the same way, when the queen felt enjoyment, he also enjoyed. And when the queen was satisfied, the king also felt satisfaction. This is the final verse we'll read. In this way, King Paranjan was captivated by his nice wife and was thus cheated. Indeed, he became cheated in his whole existence in the material world. Even against that poor foolish king's desire, he remained under the control of his wife, just like a pet, an animal that dances according to the order of its master. Chant some prayers. me turn on my mini tambora Chaksun militam yenatas mai shri gurave namaha. Shri chetana manavistam stapitam yenabhutale. Swayam rupakadamaya dadati sapadantikam. Namaum vishnu padaya vishna prasthaya bhutale. Shimate bhakti vedanta swamaniti namane. Namaste Sarasate Deve Goravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Sanyavadi Paschatzali Shatarine Panchakapataru Vyascha Kipashindu Vaivacha Patitanam Pavane Vyo Vaishnavibyo Namo Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Garadha Shivasadi Gora Bhakta Vindam Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Swasyastu Vispasya Kalo Prasidatam Danyantu Bhutani Shivam Mitodiya Manascha Badram, Bajatadhar Hoksaje, Aveshatam no Matirapya Vaituki. May the entire universe be blessed with peace and good hope. May everyone driven by envy and enmity become pacified and reconciled. May all living beings develop abiding concern for the welfare of others. And may our own hearts and minds be filled with purity and serenity. May all these blessings flow naturally from this supreme benediction. May our hearts become spontaneously absorbed in the rapture of love unto the transcendent Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, all of you, for being here. Hare Krishna. So, um, yes, this chapter and the next chapter as well, our um, Narada Muni is expounding this 
allegory of King Paranjan. Um, Narada Muni is speaking to this King Prachinabarhisat. Uh, and he's in this metaphor of King Paranjan, he's talking to the king about himself. So this king, he is every man, he is us. And um, in this allegory, the city of the body, the city of nine gates, the nine holes in the body are being described. And the wife of the king is compared to material intelligence. King Paranjan is living under the control of mental concoction. His sons um, were different from him. His sons were sadhus meditating in the water, chanting a prayer given to them by Lord Shiva. But he, the father, was just performing these fruitive activities for material gain, promotion to higher planets. Um, so Narada is trying to wake him up, give him a look at his life and his future, um, and what will happen to him if he continues down that path. So in the final verse and purport of this chapter, uh, Paranjan is feeling like he's actually wasted his whole life. He's been cheated in his whole sojourn of existence. He's completely wasted his life. So I just wanted to make this point that this is the choice of each one of us, that we can use our time in this world. We have a short time in this world. We can use this time to uplift ourselves by spiritual practice, or we can waste our lives being lulled to sleep by different brands of intoxication of our senses. I just wanted to greet Deepa. Hare Krishna, Deepa. Thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah, so we can waste our lives being controlled and following the dictations of our material mind and material intelligence. So this verse I pointed out before, this uh, word in the verse, vanchito, this is what I want to talk about, about being cheated. How are we being cheated by our materialistic mind and intelligence? So there's a powerful verse in a beautiful book called Chaitanya Chandramita. It's a very tiny little book. And the author, Prabhadananda Saraswati, he's the uncle and guru of Gopal Bhatta Goswami. And in this book, it's a really... Um, He's in the ecstasy of humility in, in feelings of separation. And he's very, at the end of the book, he's very humbly criticizing himself for his wretched condition. And he chants this verse. I'll say it in English and then I'll say it in the Sanskrit. First, he, he says, I am cheated. I am cheated. I am cheated. Of this, there is no doubt. Although Lord Gora has plunged the entire world in a flood of love of Krishna, I have not been touched by even a single drop. So in Sanskrit, it goes like this. Vanchitosmi, vanchitosmi, vanchitosmi nasangsaya, vishvam gora rase magnam sparsopi mama nabhavat. So let's go back. Let's look at the whole context of these verses in this chapter and I'd like to focus again on how we're being cheated and how we cheat ourselves. So we can also be cheated by misunderstanding these verses, taking them at face value, taking them out of context. So first of all, as Western people, most of us here, we might be hearing this chapter and thinking, 
Excuse me, Narada Muni? Why are you dissing the women here? You know, we might be thinking that. So let's look at that. Is Srimad Bhagavatam misogynist or anti-women? No, it's not. There are examples in Srimad Bhagavatam of great men and great women, devotees in Srimad Bhagavatam, and there are examples of what to do and examples of what not to do. And that's um, exemplified by both genders, right? We've seen that before. So great women devotees, Kunti Devi, Draupadi, the whole third canto, one of the most technical parts of the whole Srimad Bhagavatam, the Sankhya philosophy is spoken by Kapiladev to a woman, to his mother, Devahuti. And of course, the 10th canto, the pure-hearted wives of the ritualistic brahmanas, the wives got it and the husbands didn't, right? And then, of course, Mother Yashoda's incomparable love, ultimately Sri Radha and the gopis, the greatest exemplars of pure devotion, who were worshipped by the great sannyasi, Lord Chaitanya. So then, the, again, in the last purport in these, this series of, in, in these series of verses, Srila Prabhupada quotes a famous verse, Mahatseva dvara mahurvi muktes, tamo dvaram yositam sangi sangam, mahantaste samachita prasanta vimanyava suhrida sadhavo ye. This is from fifth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. So this is a famous verse that's often misquoted and misunderstood. Um, it's it the verse says that talks about how associating with great souls, Mahat Seva Dvaram, Dvaram means door. So Mahat Seva Dvaram, by serving great souls, the door to liberation is open. Whereas by serving, and this is the correct understanding. By associating with women hunters, the door to bondage is open. So it doesn't say that associating with women opens the door to bondage, but rather associating with women in the wrong consciousness or associating with men whose in intention is to exploit women is the door to bondage. So you could say associating with women in an exploitative mentality. Or by the same token, conversely as well, for women, women should not have an exploitative mentality toward men either. So I want to tell you a little story about my husband. When Anutama Prabhu was in college, he was a bartender, believe it or not. And every Friday night, there was this one man who used to walk into the bar. He would always sit in the same place every Friday night. And he would um, just use the same line every Friday night to attract and seduce different women. Baby, you're so beautiful. I just love you. And in this way, he would be seducing different women in this bar every Friday night. And, <laughs> and Anutamus Prabhu said that he saw him once walking around on campus. He was wearing a button that said, I'm trying to remember, the button said, I think the button said, sex is freedom. And this is the button he wore. And, and he was saying to Anutama, who he recognized from the bar, he was, his eyes are just like darting around, looking around like, you know, like this. And, and, um, and he was saying, you know, there are just so many beautiful women on this campus. And, you know, right now I'm sleeping with like 
five of them, but there's so many more. And just imagine, you know. So I wanted to just share this little story because this uh, man exemplifies uh, the type of person who's being exemplified in this verse, someone whose whole business is to exploit women. Yeah. And associating with someone like that, even if you're a man, is the door to bring down your consciousness. Um, that kind of associating with that consciousness of, consciousness of exploitation. So, yeah. So the in Sanskrit, it says, mahatsevadvaram. So serving the mahats or the great souls. Well, what if a great soul is a woman? Would that also open the door to liberation? I want to share another story with you. Um, when Srila Prabhupada was in Calcutta, the temple was very crowded. There were men devotees, male devotees, women devotees, and it was so crowded. So one morning on the morning walk, all the men went on the walk with Srila Prabhupada, and they were just complaining about the women, how the women, there's no space, it's so crowded, we, we have to get rid of these women here, there's no space for them in this temple. Meanwhile, they're all in, out enjoying a nice walk with Prabhupada. The women are back at the temple, cooking breakfast, cleaning the temple, cleaning Prabhupada's room, dressing the deities. The women were doing all the services while the men were out on the walk. So Srila Prabhupada was silent during the whole walk. The men are complaining, complaining. Srila Prabhupada didn't say a word during that whole walk. And when they got back to the temple, the ladies were standing, and there were stairs at that temple. Maybe it's there still are stairs, but there were stairs, and the ladies who'd been back at the temple doing all the services, they were standing on the side of the stairs with their hands folded to greet Srila Prabhupada. And when Srila Prabhupada came up the stairs, he looked at the men, and then he looked at the ladies, and he looked back at the men, and he said, but if you associate with these women, you will go back to Godhead. And then he just walked away, just walked back to his room. So that's a beautiful illustration of Srila Prabhupada's perspective on a topic like this. So we need to associate with great souls, whether they're men or whether they're women, and we should not carry a mentality of exploitation, right? So yeah, so I just wanted to say that we have to understand these sorts of verses in Srimad Bhagavatam, in context. So let's look at it in context, okay? First of all, these scriptures were written by male renunciates for other male renunciates. Let's look at the history in context. Women represented hearth and home and family and children and all the beautiful, enjoyable things of the world. And traditionally, women were uneducated, um, but they were creating a sacred atmosphere at home. There's a home altar decorated with flowers, with tulsi, beautiful bogue offerings. And generally, generally, women were uplifting the family um, by creating a sacred atmosphere in the home. And self-realization, like going to the forest, going to the Himalayas, that was a male project. Women were at home, and many of them were great devotees. Um, yeah, let me just share this other story. Srila Prabhupada tells this story about one family 
where there was a one family he knew when he was in India, the matriarch of the matriarch of the family was a great devotee, and she made everyone in the family come to Mangalartik in their family temple every morning, and they were a wealthy family. And anyone who didn't come, she had the Brahmin priest who was taking care of the deities go to that family member and tell him. Uh, sir, you have to pay a fee. So if they missed Mangalarti, they had to pay a fee every day. The big, big, rich industrialist family. So the humble Pujari would go to these big, you know, businessmen and say, uh, sir, you have to pay a fee. You missed Mangalarti today. So this is an example of, uh, you know, a great woman devotee guiding um, the family in, in spiritual consciousness. So anyway, yeah, I wanted to say, you know, when Srila Prabhupada came to the West, he didn't think that women would be also be joining his Krishna consciousness movement. But when we did, he gave us full access to do whatever services we were inspired to do. There was, he was very broad-minded and there was no discrimination from his point of view. So we have to understand Srimad Bhagavatam in context. Um, we have to understand Srimad Bhagavatam was spoken to Maharaj Pariksit who was cursed to die in seven days. And the whole context of Srimad Bhagavatam is um, what is the duty of someone who's about to die? It's meant to lead us to ponder life's ultimate question. It's not just about uh, Dharma Arthakam Moksha, which is religious kind of, you know, kind of Dharma, righteousness, economic development, uh, how to enjoy the world. No, it's about moksha. It's about the ultimate liberation from this world. But, you know, if we read the 100,000 verses of Mahabharata, we can get so fascinated, right? So many love stories, Nala and Damayanti and so many other ones, so many intriguing fights, battle stories, and we can just miss the whole point that the whole essence of Mahabharata is the is what? It's about the loving relationship between Krishna and his great devotees, the Pandavas, and how Krishna was always showing up for them to save them in all circumstances. So if we read Mahabharata, we can miss the whole point. So my point here is that we shouldn't misunderstand, we shouldn't take these verses or any of the verses of Srimad Bhagavatam out of context, because if we do, then we'll cheat ourselves and we'll hear this allegory of King Paranjan and his wife and misunderstand that this is all about putting down women, which it's not. So we have to go to the essence. We have to not misunderstand, not get cheated or tangled up in the allegory, the weeds, the shallow water, the superficial understanding, the surface understanding, right? Just like small fish, when they swim near the surface of the water, they can get snatched up by the hawk of death. Um, so we need to try to understand to go deeply into the essence. Um, these verses are not about dissing women, but rather warning all of us, both men and women, not to be bamboozled by materialistic intelligence, bewildered intelligence, right? Um, and we and we have to keep our intelligence clear and focused. Like Bhaktivedanta Swami used to say, "Keep your eyes on the prize," you know. And we have to understand that our time in this world is short. Death is all around us, and um, 
yeah, we have to go to the essence of Srimad Bhagavatam and finish our business in this material world and get off the um, not-so-merry, merry-go-round of birth and death, go back to our eternal home and be embraced by our most beloved, charming, playful, and delightful Krishna and all his loving associates up there in Goloka Vrindavan. Um, and verses like this are meant to help us zoom out get a vantage perspective on our lives and not meant to crush us and discourage us. You know, in that context, I, I was reminded of the 12th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna gives a whole spectrum of encouragement, right? First, he says, in verse 8, he says, fix your mind and intelligence, uh, mind and intelligence on me and live in me always. And then he says, if you can't do that, then follow the principles of bhakti yoga. And if you can't do that, then work for me. And if you can't do that, then try to act giving up the results of work and be satisfied. So Krishna is so encouraging. He gives a whole spectrum, taking it step by step. So I'm just throwing this out to all of us. Can we also try to understand these verses and these instructions of Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita in context and be encouraged and encourage other people as well. So, um, yeah, you know, Krishna is so merciful. I, I'm just throwing it out. Can we just live in the context of his, his broad vision and mercy? Um, once when I was painting for uh, kind of, well, I was painting in Boston. I was not a very good painter. And Srila Prabhupada wrote to me in a letter. He said, slowly but surely, that is all right. It was so encouraging. So, you know, sometimes I, I think that we have more judgment and less compassion toward ourselves than we often show other people. So, yeah, how can we show compassion to others if we're beating ourselves up all the time with judgment and discouragement, when we unfairly judging ourselves and, and others, we cheat ourselves out of the sweetness of Krishna consciousness that's being offered to us so generously by Lord Krishna and by Srila Prabhupada and by all our teachers. So yeah, in this chapter, Narada is speaking to a king who is bewildered. This king is missing the whole point of his life. And Narada is trying to shake him up a bit and wake him up a bit. And, um, you know, sometimes I feel, do you ever feel like you're just sleepwalking through your whole life? You know, you're just like missing, missing the whole point, you know? So sometimes I feel like that I'm not observing the signs. I'm not reflecting deeply, not trying to hear Krishna's guidance from within my heart. So, um, you know, we're directed to to chant attentively, right? To try to fix our mind on Krishna's name and fix our mind on hearing Srimad Bhagavatam. So attentive chanting means having an attentive life. It means trying to cry out to Krishna in humility and try to understand that we're we're actually standing on the precipice of death, you know? Um, my sister Susan lives in Maine, and her daughter Zoe works on a farm near Lewiston, Maine. And she teaches uh, about plants at the local YMCA there, 
which is right near where all these shootings happened the last few days. So, you know, my sister, you know, it's a Jewish family, right? So they've been so focused on the news of Israel. And now right in front, right in their own backyard, this cruel, senseless killing is, is ha happening right in their own neighborhood. So I am just mentioning this because we need to take our limited time here seriously and not cheat ourselves. Um, so I want to quote Bhaktachirtha Swami here. He used to say we have to die before dying. So he said, we each have to remove the mask and allow ourselves to feel the pain that the mask has been designed to shield. To do so, we need to step out of the mind who we think and have come to believe we are, step out of the programming we have adopted to become acceptable. It is about learning to die before we die. It is about allowing ourselves to face the pain and joy of life in a safe, secure space without the mask. So what is that safe, secure space? It's, this, it's the place of knowing that I'm, I'm beloved to Krishna as I'm an eternal, beautiful, powerful spirit part of Krishna um, and as an indestructible spirit, life's traumas don't define me. And also that as an immortal spirit, we're all capable of, of much more than we can ever imagine. So I just want to conclude here that, um, yeah, in conclusion, it's really our choice. We can be cheated by our materialistic intelligence, represented by the queen in this allegory, in this chapter. We can be cheated by the masks we wear to deceive ourselves and other people in the world as a man or as a woman. We can be cheated by our untamed senses, cheated by remaining on the surface of our lives, hearing these verses of Srimad Bhagavatam in, only in a superficial way or, or chanting in a mechanical way, right? Or we can make a choice to try to see that our, our next death can come at any moment, right? We've already lived and died so many lives before this one. And our very next death can come at any moment. And we can try to go deeper and become like deep sea aquatics, like a beautiful dolphin that lives in the depths and only comes up to share the sweetness of, of uh, bhakti with other, other people. So yeah, so just let me close with the, this. I want to close with a couple of beautiful, encouraging verses from Bhakti Vinod Thakur. He says to us, he says, uh, he's kind of talking to us like we're soldiers in these verses. So he says, so push thy onward march, O soul, against an evil deed that stands with soldiers' hate and lust. A hero be indeed. Maintain thy post in spirit world as firmly as you can. Let never matter push thee down, O stand heroic man. Or I would say, O stand heroic woman also, right? So these are a few thoughts on how we can also wake up a bit, how Narada's trying to wake us up, shake us up like he's shaking up this king, and how we cannot be cheated by our misused materialistic senses, mind, and intelligence. So thank you all so much. Um, 
what was important for you here? Does anyone want to reflect something back? What's a takeaway for you? Or, or maybe there are some questions that some of you might like to discuss. Thank you all so very much for being here the first day of Kartik Purnima. Haribo. Thank you very much. Haribo, Mother Rukmini Prabhu. Haribo. Some of the basins. The scholar from Oxford University. She was accepted at Oxford University, but her father uh, misplaced the letter. And because that letter was never opened, she got to meet Bhakti Tirtha Swami. And her, the whole trajectory of her life was, was changed. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mother. What a, what a wonderfully inspiring and uplifting um, class. And, and I really appreciate the fact that you clarified the verse in such a way to, you know, to give us enlightenment rather than for us to go down, you know, a dark path of division. Um, as you were talking, I was reflecting because I'm actually reading, listening to, because I'm doing a lot of, of herbal work right now. So I have things going on in the background classes. Sometimes I'm listening to audiobooks. I'm listening to an audiobook about the end, not, not quite the end of the world, but what happens when everything that we know as it is shuts down. And one of the things I was appreciating was that when you said um, women were not educated, I was thinking, well, actually, they were educated, but it was a different system of education that right. women were trained in something else other than, you know, like the the regular what we continue what we consider like book learning, because in this book that I'm reading, this whole this whole town, this whole city, is turning to the grandmothers for the knowledge of like how do we how do we prepare food, how do we purify water, how do we, you know, like keep house in the middle of a severe winter storm and she's given them all this knowledge and I was just thinking, yeah that that women are the ones that carry this knowledge of of actually survival you know in this world and and share it in that way and so we we are educated but just in a different system yeah, and I, yeah thank you very much that's a beautiful point and of course there were some women who did study and and learn and and learn Sanskrit and you know, um, they were exceptions. Like there's one woman scholar, her name was Gargi. It's it's in the history that she defeated the um, great sage Yagyavalka in the court of King Janaka. So there were uh, extraordinary um, women who were uh, learned in Sanskrit also, but you're making a beautiful point that their education was, was, uh, was different. And it was, um, you know, uh, a lot of emotional intelligence, herbal intelligence, right, and uh, healing intelligence, and and uh, yeah. So thank you. That's a really beautiful point. Thank, thank you for association always in this life, Haribo, in this short life, Haribo. What else? Somebody else have a? Rajaratha has her hand up. Her virtual hand is up. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Rukmini Prabhu. Thank you for a wonderful talk. Um, you were asking if we have any takeaways. I just wanted to share my takeaway. It was just recent that you shared. Do you ever feel like you're sleepwalking your whole life? Like you're missing the whole point. I think this could be also true to people like me who are like uh, showing that we are doing devotion. But then, yeah, sometimes we could take things so lightly. So um, like like as if we are sleepwalking and not noticing. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, we really need to wake up. 
and we have to take our limited time on earth very seriously. So that I noted that down. So that is my takeaway. Thank, Thank you. you so much. But then, you know, we have to be forgiving to a, a mama like you who's, you know, maybe you feel like you're asleep, but your whole focus of your life is, you know, waking up your beautiful daughters to kirtan and Krishna consciousness. So, um, yeah, so mom, mom's a great multitasker. So you can you can give your, your daughters uh, Krishna consciousness and get some of the crumbs that fall down on you as well. So thank you for your... Thank you. Thank you, Prabhu. Thank you, Prabhu. Thank you for watching. Thanks. Anita and Robert, one of you has a hand up. I don't know which one it is. Hi, Anita. Uh, hi, Ramini. Uh, one, one of the things that, that has come out for me, and I also have a question, is this idea of interpretation, how we see or how we understand these various verses is a really important aspect. Uh, we're taking a course with Hare Kirtana right now, uh, a Bhagavatam class, and he started off the course uh, reading about how we approach the process of reading and then absorbing and then learning the uh, the, the material. And the, the thing of it is, is of course, it's, it's it, how we interpret it as an individual, our experiences, our, our prejudices, our knowledge. And he said it's a danger of attempting to overlay our ego decisions on it. Uh, and you have to take it with an open heart and, and an open mind, which is easier said than done. It's not easy to do that. And in the instance of today is how we interpret it uh, as an individual. When I was listening uh, to you uh, read that verse, I'm not thinking about how someone else is interpreting it. I can only interpret it from my own experiences. So I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, I really spoil Anita. Am I spoiling her too much? <laughs> Right, I'm not. Th I'm not thinking. Oh, women are 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 uh, you know lower. I'm thinking. Of course, you must treat your wife this way. And then I'm thinking, am I, am I treating her too nicely? You know, am I? Is she being so spoiled? And uh, maybe she'll stop feeding you. Maybe she'll stop feeding you all those yummy muffins if you don't treat her nicely. But um, self interest. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my my question really is. Uh, but anyway, you've actually given me advice on that before, Rukmini, which is to offer my love to uh, to Krishna for uh, for this relationship. So that one's figured out. But the actual question is, when we do come across these verses that are very difficult, and you know, you look at the Christian Bible; it's only it's a small book. There's not really a lot of information there. But you look at the scope and the vastness of the Veda uh, text. There's a lot. And so, what do we do when we do come across text? as we're reading on our own that we don't understand and that are actually very difficult to interpret from our perspective. We don't always have you to help us. What do we do when we come to those readings that not only do they not make sense, but maybe they're a little offensive or, uh, you know, where we're perceived great perhaps question. negatively. What do we do in those situations? Yeah, How do we thank you. Thank you. Great question. So the thing is, Robert, you know, doubts come up when someone is intelligent, when someone is intelligent, then they have doubts and they question. But, you know, on the one hand, we shouldn't stuff those doubts, just stuff them back down and think, oh, this is offensive. I can't ask about this. And and on the other hand, we can't just like fly by the seat of our own, um, you know, speculation. You know, the thing is when those doubts come up, it's very, very important to to speak up to somebody you trust 
to Hari Kirtan or to Bhagavata Shraya or to somebody that you know has your best interest at heart and, and go to that person and say, hey, what about this? This is bugging me and I'm having doubts about this and I want to throw the whole thing away. I want to never open Srimad Bhagavatam again. What do you have to say about this? So go to someone you trust and that's not everybody, you know, but it's somebody you trust and, and open those doubts and discuss them back and forth. But Srila Prabhupada uses the term that we have to hear with submissive oral reception. So not in a challenging mood, but in a mood of submissive oral reception. But it's not being submissive to any Tom, Dick, and Harry that's walking down the street, you know, shooting their shooting off their opinions. It's it's like a it's like a humble submission to the realized um, voices in the line of, of bhakti. So find someone who resonates with you. And that may be different for you than it is for Anita. It may be different for you than it is for, you know, somebody else. But um, find someone you trust and, uh, and discuss back and forth. And that will be very satisfying and peace-giving and hope-giving. So that's what I would say. But um, don't stuff it back down. And don't just fly by the seed of your own speculation either you know so i hope that's helpful yes, and, thank keep, you. and keep being nice to anita otherwise she might stop making those muffins she might just put them in a in a box and you know fedex them over here to washington where all of us can have nice muffins and i would share them with with sam and everybody you know so thank you so much sam you have a you have a, a takeaway or a reflection or a question yeah, Hare Krishna Mataji. Thank you so much for your nice lecture today. Um, I've also been reading the Chaitanya Chandramita and I've been trying to get through the whole thing. It's like I'll start it and then I'll get distracted. But um I was reflecting on Prabhupada Saraswati's lamentations and how he feels that he is so like low and unqualified for the mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And so um, he definitely, I feel like sometimes I feel that way where it's like I'm cheating myself because like lately I haven't been reading as much and I know how important like reading is to me. So I definitely feel like I've been cheating myself in Krishna consciousness because even though and been like staying on top of my chanting and everything i'm allowing other areas that are important to me to like kind of slip slip away so it's a good reminder that we shouldn't cheat ourselves you know and <laughs> thank so you. yeah thank, thank you very you so much. much but this is pretty high stuff you know that a great devotee is like telling himself i'm cheating myself cheating myself so on the one hand, we should all kind of feel like we're cheating ourselves if we're not really very Krishna conscious. But on the other hand, we have to also encourage each other and encourage ourselves because we can't really encourage each other if we don't encourage ourselves. So you can give yourself a big hug, Sam, and say, I'm just going to be a balanced person. I'm going to chant and read as best I can. And I'm going to encourage myself because uh, it, it's a rough road and it's a long journey. It's not a short sprint. It's a it's a long distance run of a lifetime, and many lifetimes actually. So encourage yourself, even while you're feeling like you're cheating yourself. There can be a balance of both. You know, on the one hand, we should be. Um, oh, there's this saying from some Eastern Orthodox teacher who says, um, "How does he put it? 
be uh, be humble because you are made of earth and be um, inspired because you are the same. You are made of the same thing, the things that the stars are made of. So on the one hand, we can be humble and we should also be inspired. So it's a it's a beautiful balance that we can find uh, when you look at examples like like people like Bhaktatirtha Swami, how inspired, but yet also how humble and how challenging he was to himself, but to be in balance, you know. We can't imitate a person like that either. So I hope that's helpful. Hari, Chak so Hari, Bol, Hari Chakra, all the way from Africa. Right? Hari Chakra. Oh, is that your? Is that you? Hari Chakra, who's, we're not seeing your face, so we're just guessing. Maybe you're in a Halloween costume, but we're not okay. seeing. Can't hear the the uh, audio is jumping a bit. There you are, Haribo. Nice to see you, Prabhu. Haribo. Uh, okay. Thank okay. you for joining me so far away. Uh, thank you very much for your class. Always when we hear you, I mean we get so inspired. <laughs> like uh, when when you were reading this verse, I was thinking in my head, Oh my God, what is she going to say about this verse? <laughs> then, then out of nowhere, you started, I mean, giving the explanation. And I said, oh, wow, this is wonderful. Thank you yeah, so much. So thank, thank you very much. Because uh, uh, what, what I actually got from the uh, your speech is about how we don't have to jump into conclusion when we read the scripture. Because we have to actually dive into it and go and find the deeper meaning of it rather than to just looking at the superficial aspect of it. Thank you. Uh, and the example is uh, like when Jesus said in the Bible that uh, it will be easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle <laughs> than for a rich man to go to the kingdom of God. I mean, if you take it literal, then it's like impossible. Then it means in, no rich man can ever, ever go to the kingdom of God. But <laughs> if you read, if you if you listen to the, the biblical humanity, then that needle is not the needle we are we see the regular needle that we see. It's like they say in the Jewish in the Jewish architecture. Anytime they build a house, behind the house they have a small door that enters the house, and they they refer to that door as the eye of the needle. Ah. <laughs> so when Jesus was saying the eye of the needle, he he meant the back door, the back door in the house. <laughs> because it's a smaller door, then it says it will be different. It will be easier for a camel to go through that door than for a rich man. Which, and if you go, you read further. The I mean, the biblical humanities explains that he was talking about how people become so attached to their wealth. So basically speaking, rich men are supposed to be very attached to their material wealth, and because of that. It's very difficult for them to be very devoted to the path of, uh, of devotion. Right. So if we, we we understand it this way, then it 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 it, it means that there's nothing that uh, it's not everything that we just read in the scripture that we should just take it on the facial value. We right. should actually go deep into it to find out what it actually means. Yeah. Because I remember about four days ago, one of Prabhupada's devotees was giving class in the African Forum, 
And he made mention of something. He says, the scripture says that if one comes in contact with a pure devotee, you immediately become qualified to go back home back to God. So he was thinking that, oh, then if Prabhupada is a, devote, a pure devotee, then what is the point? Uh, I'm already qualified to go back home because I've come in contact with him. <laughs> so he said, he, he was telling us that this was a confusion for him. Then one day he was listening to Prabhupada's, Prabhupada's lecture. And Prabhupada was talking about that same verse. How you become pure when you come in contact with a pure devotee. And immediately Prabhupada was using uh, uh, straw. Prabhupada says, if you have straw, a wet straw and a dry straw, that if you if you light, if you put a light on the on the dry straw, immediately it catches fire. But if you put a light on the wet straw, then it doesn't catch it doesn't catch fire immediately. It takes time for it to catch fire. Yeah. So nice example. The yeah, the fact that the scripture says that immediately you come in contact with a pure devotee, immediately you become pure yourself. It means we must know the condition of the straw. Right, right. Very good points. Thank you so much. So what you're what you're talking about is is hearing in context, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like a rich man depends on what he does with his wealth, right? He might give a nice donation for some wonderful project and he may, or he may hoard his wealth. So we have to understand all these things in context. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for being here. So Sahadev, Hare Krishna. Thank you so Thank much. You. My humble obeisances. Humble obeisances to you. Uh, so nice to catch you here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't think I have a question because my question has been asked by uh, Samuel Prabhu and you answered. So I just, uh, I don't know, it's like telepathy. He read my mind and he asked the question. So <laughs> Hare Krishna, thank you. Hare Paul. Thank you for being here, Prabhu. Nice to see you. Hare Paul. Lokadasi. Hare Paul. Hi, Bob Prabhu. Thank you for a beautiful class. So nice to see you. Like, it's like soft, gentle rain on a parched earth. So nice to hear from you this morning. Welcome. Thank you. Oh, it's, 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 it's wonderful. Um, it's wonderful, you know, and so many takeaways. But what really struck me, a um, couple of things, you know, that when you began, who are, are we really focused on who we are and what's important to us, you know, who, who we're going to be and how we shed those identities that are so material in the way that we've been brought up or the things we've been told to expect, you know, how we shed that. And um, as you're aware, I'm going through a bit of a disruptive period right now. Everything is sort of in turmoil, has been for a while. And um, it's, it's, it's really a, a an eye-opening experience because it allows you to, to focus on what's important and what's not important. And so I've been doing a lot of juggling of those services and it mostly it works, but there comes some moments when it's a little too intense. And that gets me to the second takeaway that, that really struck home when you made the remark about um, learning to be gentle with ourselves, because um, in sometimes in the process of trying to juggle all this bit in a, in a condition or in an environment in a sort of the way my life is at the moment, not so ordered, not as ordered as I might like it to be, then I 
someone chastises me, oh, you should have done more of this, or why didn't you do that? Or we were counting on you to do such and such. And I get caught up in, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not doing enough. I should be trying harder. What's wrong with me? And the other day when I was doing a Joppa walk, I realized your know, devotion doesn't come from guilt. The, I, I can't, it, I, I, I'm sure I do this. I know I do this. And I know that many of us do it. And I, I know that I often feel that it's being done to me. And I, I, I take it in that mood, even though it probably isn't in that mood, but how it's actually very destructive. And when I get myself into that mood of, oh, I should, I'm not, I'm not anywhere near what I should be. I not really can't do it well enough. I really just am not trying hard enough. And um, that isn't devotion. And so this, the beauty of this period of disruption for me, and of your comments is really, um, I'm so much is getting shaken up. I'm getting a chance to say, oh, you know, not that anymore, not that, letting that go. That is the die before dying. And what's trying to emerge? And mm-hmm. out of that emergence, the patience and the space to let the unfolding occur, you know, and not because I, I, I truly believe <laughs> with Guru's mercy and Christian's mercy that uh, at the end of the unfolding, there is more devotion. It may not feel like it right now, but that um, that beating up on myself does not help. So thank you for your words, which really um, helped crystallize some of my thinking about that. Hi, Bo. Thank you for both. That's very beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah, sometimes those disruptions in our lives can shake us up so that we, we kind of can jettison some of the things that I thought were so important or that somebody else is putting on me thinking it's so important, but it's not actually essential for me. So, and then, and then I always remember uh, Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. So we, I think in ISKCON high intensity community, we're always comparing ourselves. Oh, she does so much more and blah, blah, you know, but just uh, some things are essential for me and I have to go deep and, and discover what those things are. The rest can, we can let it fly away. And give yourself a big hug. Encourage yourself. Beautiful <laughs> devotee. Hi, Paul. Thank you so much. Yeah. Miss you. Hi, Paul. Rajalila. Hi. Hari, Hari. Thank you so much, oh. Rukmini. Oh, thank you. There's, as Lokas Prabhu said, there's so many takeaways. However, what I was appreciating about your class were the stories that you were telling um, you're sharing with us, you, you know, so many beautiful stories that reflected what you're sharing, what you're guiding us to understand about cheating, especially like this story um, uh, about Calcutta and the women and how Srila Prabhupada, you know, taught his men in just such a simple way, simple, just simple and direct, like how he answered the males. So that made me think when you share that, that story about this verse that we read in, in class today, in our morning class. And I just wanted to share a little bit of that and why this class you gave today was so very important. So Prabhupada is quoting a Hindu, a Hindi poet in the, in the purport of this um, verse in, um, in the fifth canto of the forest of enjoyment. And he's quoting this poet, and this poet is saying, during the daytime, the wife is compared to a witch, and at night, she's compared to a tigress. We all know this verse, right? Her only business is sucking the blood of her husband both day and night. During the And so anyway, he goes on and on like this, right, in the purport. And somebody can really read this and 
as you said, be somewhat discouraged. So my takeaway is how do we, is to encourage each other, as you shared, encourage each other when we hear these uh, different um, just perspectives. Prabhupada is just giving a perspective. And we may take that to be, that's what Prabhupada is saying himself, but he specifically yeah. quoted someone else. Yeah, these things can be very discouraging and disheartening. And, you know, that's not something I would say to someone who first walks in the temple, right? But, you know, I think one perspective is that what we should see is that each one of us has a lower self and a higher self within us. You know, I can go out and, you know, become a, some kind of a femme fatale man killer. I can choose to do that if I want, you know, or I can try to cultivate um, my deeper self, whether we're men or women. We can go out and, you know, try to kill each other with uh, exploitation, or we can cultivate our higher selves. So every one of us, you know, just like the good dog and the bad dog, right? We have the good dog and the bad dog within us. Which one will we feed? So we have to always feed the good dog, but also understand that that bad dog is just going to keep barking. And sometimes we just have to, you know what? I hear you but I'm not going to listen to your dictation. Maybe we're thinking that that bad, bad dog is going to stop barking because I'm not feeding the, that bad dog. Well, sometimes that barking continues, but we have to just go on. What do they say that the, the dogs may bark, the, cat, the dogs may bark, but the caravan passes. So we have may have so many dogs within ourselves. Maybe my best friend is barking at me. Maybe my partner, husband, wife, you know, somebody's barking at me, but the caravan passes, you know, and each of us, I think Krishna's sitting in each of our hearts and he's waiting to hear what, what do you desire, Rajalila? What do you desire, Rukmini? You know, Loka, what do you desire, Kunti, you know? So he's just waiting. And, and generally people find what they're looking for. Scientists, they're working on discovering something for years and years. They find what they're looking for. Sometimes they don't find what they weren't looking for. So, but, um, you know, we have to keep our eyes on the prize. That was a great maxim of the civil rights movement of the, you know, the people who were being uh, tortured during the civil rights movement. And uh, keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the pole star of Krishna consciousness, because that's what we want. And this life is very short. Today or tomorrow, each one of us, each and every one of us will be leaving this world. So let's not get tripped up in the weeds of, oh, prophets of this, prophets of that. Oh. And if something bugs you, then go to someone you trust and say, hey, what about this? You know, but we can't take things out of context. That's, I guess, the main point here. Thank you so much. Heidi Bo, Kunti Devi Prabhu, sitting at the lotus feet of Radha and Krishna in her beautiful <laughs> room. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rukmini Prabhu. I mean, you speak from the heart, so it's sort of it turns the heart. Your your the way you speak brings up so much emotions. Thank you so much. Um, actually, my questions were answered as you were speaking. Um, I, I think my take there are so many takeaways, but one of the takeaways uh, is that being gentle. To, to oneself. In order to be gentle with others, uh, you have to be gentle with yourself. Because um, yeah. there's a tendency to beat oneself up. <laughs> yeah, especially, yeah. sorry, go ahead, please go ahead. No, no, go ahead. It's just, you know, it's, 
not really seeing what you have done or you have accomplished. It's always the focus is on the shortcomings, you know, what you haven't done, you know, why haven't you done this, you know, so it's really um, just walking around with negativity and that loop goes on and on and on and on endlessly. So just being gentle with yeah. oneself. That's I really like that. Thank yeah. you. Be encouraging. And and I think, you know, so many of the people on this call are in different kinds of helping professions like you, Kunti, like, you know, Shamla Priya. And, um, you know, especially when someone is in a, a caring profession, which we all are, even if we're just helping people in our family or people in our community, if we don't uh, breathe in and nourish ourselves, we can't always just be breathing out, breathing out you know, giving, 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 because then we, when we burn ourselves out, so we have to nurture ourselves also. And, you know, like Sam was saying, well, I'm, I'm chanting, but I'm not really reading. So, you know, we have to like, it's okay. You know, I'll read, I can read one verse, you know, and, and, uh, and appreciate that I, that I read one little verse, you know, and not be comparing ourselves to others, but, um, give ourselves a little hug and understand that, um, how how appreciative Krishna is if we're trying, if we're just trying. Yeah, thank you so much. Beautiful, Kunti. Shamala Priya, Haribo. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna Rukmini. Thank you for such a wonderful class. Thank you very much. And also thank you for everyone sharing their reflections and um, realizations. Yeah, I... I I think my my question has been answered, um, but I, I suppose my reflection, maybe I could ask if you have anything else to add. Um, but personally, like I, reflecting on my past, I've gone through many different transitions in my Krishna consciousness. However, the overarching theme has always been that um, basically I'm like in a state of distress, right? So, cause you know, we, we hear that devotees come to Krishna consciousness in different moods, whether it's distress or seeking knowledge or seeking um, money or um, those types of things. So I've re been reflecting, oh, wow, not even, uh, just in Krishna consciousness, but my seeking, my seeking to find what I was looking for in terms of spirituality, you know, since my twenties or teens, I've probably, I've been in a state of distress and I'm out of that distress. It's so interesting. I've shifted out of that stage of living in distress and it's taken, you know, I can see physiologically, physically, emotionally, like I've had to de like um, move through that transition to kind of like become to a more homeostasis. And um, now I'm like in this place, it's, it's a new place. And it's more like, oh, this is a choice I made. This like reflecting, zooming out at my life to say, Oh, I've been searching, da da da. I've been working so hard. Now I've been, you know, trying to do the right thing. Now I'm on the path. Now I'm 
you know, doing all these things on the path. But now it's like, all right, well, what I I'm in a stage where it's like I have to almost approach the relationship in a in a completely different way. And and at first it was a little bewildering. It was like, wait a second, am I motivated? You know, am where do I stand instead of all of this like kind of just moving out of uh stress response, like I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. Now it's like a choice. Mm-hmm. And for a period I thought, wow, I'm really unmotivated. Wow, <laughs> I really don't have any feelings about this. Wow, I'm really disconnected. And now I'm starting to pivot and I'm realizing, yeah, I'm needing to ask for help. Like in the past, I've always reached out for help in those transitions. And when I hear Loka speak, I think, oh my gosh, she's one person, for example, I've always reached out to in my times of transition. And here I am in another transition. I'm wondering if you could speak to that if you've experienced it or you know what the, to speak about that transition, you're moving from one way of interacting with Krishna to not being in that re- mode anymore. <laughs> what? <do> you, <laughs> how do you go deeper? And I heard everyone reflect, we're constantly finding what inspires us in our Krishna consciousness. So yes, I'm coming back to that. What what inspires me, you know, and, and to follow that. But maybe you could speak a little bit more about this because this is new terrain. That's really beautiful reflection. Thank you so much. So, you know, when you were speaking, I was kind of reflecting on what Bhaktatirtha Swami had said about coming to that safe, secure place. So maybe it's a new terrain to not be in so much distress. And maybe it's a matter of pausing right now and recognizing, hey, you know what? I'm approaching another place in my Krishna consciousness where I'm actually approaching a safe, secure place as an eternal, beloved spirit soul part of Krishna. And I think part of it is that we're just rushing around so much and so busy with so many things and so many services, and we really don't pause. You know, we really don't pause and and breathe and, um, you know, reflect back and, and thank Krishna. You know, thank you for this moment of reflection and and radical noticing. I've been thinking a lot about radical noticing, you know. Um, you know, let me be in awe of this actual moment of of um, of, of satisfaction, of peace, that I've, I've come to a different place after all these years. Um, you know, we hear so much in ISKCON, work now, samadhi later. I don't know if people still say that. But to me, it's almost like, yeah, work now, samadhi, maybe never. No, we should be trying to meditate on what is that samadhi of the holy name? What is that place of peace that we can find and and be satisfied and be, um, be moving forward and yet be satisfied with the place where I am? So it's a lot about self-compassion. And I think that's a really important concept. Self-compassion empowers us to be compassionate um, to ourselves, but also to others and, and empowers us and and again, I think those in helping professions are so often just breathing out, breathing out, breathing out. But to be able to recognize that I've come to another place and to thank Krishna and to thank yourself for the realizations that you've had along the path in the last few years. 
So that's a, that's a beautiful thing when you can, you know, look forward, but also look back and recognize what, you know, I've understood some things and some things that used to, you know, really get me bent out of shape or, or not um, bothering me so much anymore. So, so thank you, Krishna. And thanks, thanks to your own self to give yourself a hug and recognize that, uh, you know, that suffering is a shared human experience. The suffering is all around us and go to the place of, of, uh, deep gratitude and, and heartfulness and, um, you know, feed myself, nurture myself so I can nurture others. But I think that's a beautiful thing. I think you're, you're coming to that safe and secure place that Maharaj was so wisely recommending. So thank you for that. It just shows it's possible, right? It's possible for each of us. Thank you very much. Amala Priya. Chitty Shakti, you have your virtual hand up. Nice to see you. Hare Krishna. Um, I wanted to come back to the point you made about compassion, <clears throat> compassion for the self, compassion for others, but in line with that, this comparison, how it steals joy, that quote uh, you cited. Um, how can we, we may not be comparing ourselves to others, we may be past that point of comparing to others, but we still continue to compare or evaluate according to Guru's instructions, Srila Prabhupada's standards. How do we, especially where we see a, a shortfall, how do you feel we can move forward without, because there's, there's being compassionate and saying, okay, this is as much as I can do. I'm still aiming for the ideal, right? But there's also a danger that this is where I'm at. I'm aiming for the ideal. And then being so relaxed about it that you never ever get to the ideal. So I right. guess it's that that balance. How do we get that balance? If I'm not comparing myself to others, I do want to reach the ideal that Guru and Krishna have set. How can I maintain this mood of fallen but hopeful? <laughs> That's beautiful. Fallen but hopeful. Thank you. You know, I think really um, the real answer is that all of these things we're trying to do are actually impossible. And the fact is we have to um, we have to seek Krishna's help. If I want to chant the holy name in love, I'm not going to be able to do that without his his help. So, you know, there's a beautiful prayer by Bhaktivinoda Thakur where he says something like, um, you know, whatever attachment I have for for material things, let let that attachment be transferred to to your holy name and the service to the devotees and and um, you know, so the fact is, it's a partnering. It's not an achiever. It's not an achiever's mind. It's a receiver's mind, as we always hear. But we can't actually do any of these things without just taking a deep breath, stepping back, and say, "Krishna, this is impossible." And I know impossible is in a word or word in a fool's dictionary. So I just have to pray to you, because mm -hmm. I can't do any of these things without your grace. So I chant and I read and I pray for your grace. And uh, that's all I can do to try to be sincere. What is Radhana Swami? What's his little mantra? Serious, sincere, and without ulterior motive. You know, that's actually from Sanatan Goswami. But to be serious, to be sincere, and be without ulterior motive. And then just put it in our Anjali. You know, this is an Anjali. You put your two hands together. And just put that little desperation, that prayer that I'm just so lacking. I don't want to be a lazy bum. 
I want to try, but you know, but to say, I need your help. I need your partnership. I need to hitch my wagon to your star, you know, otherwise I can't do any of this. So that would be my answer. Beautiful. I love that. You should have a receiver's mindset, not an achiever's mindset. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Look forward to being with you in December. Loka, you have your hand up again, or maybe it didn't come down. No, actually I do. I'm loving this conversation. And I was thinking about this and I thought, no, but it's, it's being reiterated again and again in all these comments. I know that sometimes for myself, when I'm trying to push, well, achieve more, do more, you know, get, be a better servant. My default is to do more. And what I'm remembering as in your description of the dolphin, sometimes it's not about doing more. Sometimes it's about stopping, literally stopping and reflecting, breathing. You know, I loved what you said about breathing and praying and, and moving, not at the pace that everyone else is moving, or that, that, that they think they should move. What's my pace? What do I need to do now? And so um, I'm hearing that as a theme that's sort of woven in so many of the comments. And I just felt like I wanted to highlight it. So thank, thank you. That's really beautiful. Yeah. You know, when I think of a dolphin, a dolphin is a creature who lives in the depths. So I think we have to be like those. Rupa Goswami says that, you know, it's not that we merge with the ocean. We become deep sea aquatics. So we have to dwell in the depths. And I think also someone like you, Loka, you know, you your service is all in a man's world. And you're, you know, you're, you're shoulder to shoulder with all those guys, lawyers and cases and all this kind of stuff. So it's really hard to get, you know, bent out of shape and to, and to get pulled to that surface place. But to, to really maybe before you go into each one of those meetings, to just like do a little, maybe a guided meditation with your own self that I am a deep sea aquatic. I dwell in the depths. And sometimes I have to come up like that dolphin comes up to share, you know, but you go right back down, you know. So sometimes your work is on the surface. You must be existing and dialoguing and negotiating on the surface. But but to remember, to validate that my, my residence is in the depths, not on the surface. So... Maybe thank, you. Awesome. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. You're all so beautiful. This is such a such a deep and wise community, and it's such a great honor to to be here with all of you. And um, you know, I really pray that Krishna and Prabhupada, Bhaktachitta Maharaj, and all the great teachers bless you all and empower you all to be deep sea aquatic dolphins living in the depths and coming up to share and just, you know, you know about balance. We always think about balance, but you know what? Somebody said it's kind of like surfing, actually. You know, the waves are coming. Sometimes you just have to lean this way. Sometimes you have to lean that way. And sometimes the balance is just, you know, in the moment, leaning this way or leaning that way and and just taking each wave as it comes and taking shelter of Krishna. You know, he's he's um the, the pilot of this surfboard or the pilot of this ship. So, you know, thank you all so much.